All right, Kiss Army. Welcome to the Kiss FAQ podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today. Nothing is into your head. I hope you don't do any damage. This is a Kiss related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. episode 75 of the kiss fq podcast i'm your host today julian gill big thank you to lonnie st louis kiss for filling in and taking the reins last week very much appreciated sir and good to thank see you. you also joining me today are ken 69th blizzard and marcus almighty mark on the board welcome back gentlemen thank hello you. good to be here current affairs uh let's get these out of the way quickly new kiss encyclopedia is out check it out on amazon uh you can now read some excerpts and get an idea about its contents um prince of course was verified today is dying from uh, opiate overdose so i'm sure gene simmons will be uh smugly happy um and that's really it uh vegas you guys discussed last week when i wasn't around so did you see it I have not seen. I did not go. It was uh, middle of the week. I'm busy. I have a life. I can't just. Uh, Farm the hell out of me. <laughs> can't, I, I, I couldn't find the time. But I do hear now, and I've been reading that it's going to be available on pay per view next. Yeah. But, and of course, people right. on the board are complaining how many times they're going to make me buy the same damn right. thing. Well, it's you kiss. You don't have to. Just like I didn't have to go have to. to the show. I did not go to the show. I now have a second chance. I can actually pay for it on pay per view if I can't wait for the blu-ray dvd the 18 different versions which because they're planning that's... <laughs> that's called choice um <laughs> and and you are allowed yeah. to go you are allowed not to go that is freedom it's absolutely wonderful concept so moving on from there before i shovel myself into getting banned by gene simmons on his twitter oh snap already did that um <laughs> let's get into today's topic and uh you know we we're just talking about changes, I think. You know, let's look back at the first few Kiss albums, which are, of course, the, you know, the, the, the cornerstones of the catalog, the original six or seven albums or so, and think about what we might like to change with each one of those to make it better in our eyes, whether it's uh, different artwork, which we've kind of covered before, but specifically for, you know, just making changes, material d subtracted, added, maybe different producers, different sonic styles, um, let's go straight to the beginning and let's go to Canada. Mark. Yes. <clears throat> okay. So I, over the week, made many, many notes for such a topic. And, uh, I guess I'll go through my, uh, just a few of them that I think that are worth noting. So for the first record, obviously, since we're talking about the first album, um, the first thing I would probably change, and I think that we kind of talked about this before, is the cover. Now, the album cover to me, I don't hate it, but if it was, you know, but if I was allowed to take over the reins, so to speak, I would have probably changed the image of the cover. I mean, we were discussing about how it was a little confusing to kind of get the vibe of the band based on the cover that they had there. So I was thinking of that one poster that came out from the very first era where they had all of them kind of standing together with like Gene Hover hovering over top of them. And I think one of them had the knife. I think it was Peter had the yeah, knife. Yeah. 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 The, the red think, room shots, I think they were called. The uh, yeah. Rayanne Rubenstein. Right. Damn, I think that would Ross have been would better... know exactly what it's called exactly. <laughs> yeah. I would have I would have used that probably as the cover image. It would have been more... I think people would have been able to kind of figure out a little bit easier what they were trying to strive for using that image, I think. For a cover like that, 
Um, then in terms of a record producer, I thought about this long and hard because I thought about it from my perspective of when I first started in a band and I first got my first record deal. And we were pretty much happy to be plugged up with pretty much any producer at that point because when you first start, you want to be involved in the game. You want to get in the game. Now, being offered a decent record producer, you know, that's what you want, right? I mean, sure, you could sit down and go through a hundred different ones and sit there and argue about it. Why shouldn't we take this guy and this guy? But I think at that point you have adrenaline, you're excited, you want to get out there, you want to start rolling. And I think that you kind of trust in your overlords at that point, which would be Neil Bogart to say, okay, these are the guys that you want to use. And I think that they they were smart to use what they were given at that point because they were new. They didn't have much experience in this. So I think Kenny Kerner and uh, Richie Weiss were, Decent. I didn't mind the first record of Sonically, to be quite honest with you. So I think that that I would have probably kept the same. And the one last point that I made for this record was I would have definitely have changed by taking out Love Gun, the love, the love theme from Kiss, I would have took out of the record and I would have put on Watching You. They already had it already in their, mm-hmm. in their uh, lineup there of songs. Even on the original demo, they had it already. So why not put that song on there instead? I think it would have been much stronger would have made the album much stronger and then and then it would have also forced them to think up some more material for their next next record but i'll get to that later when it's my turn again so but those are my three points i thought up for the record i still love that one and i know we talked about it on the other show the uh rayon rubenstein the red room type photos which was obviously the poster that was included in some of the um the promotional copies of the first album. i mean i love that concept you know i get what they were trying to do with the album cover but i you know i'm totally agreeing with you on that point kenny kerner and richie wise for me i think do a perfectly fine job as producers on this album that's like the one area i wouldn't really go into changing i thought i'd look up you know who was producing other albums around the time who was the hot producers you know and it's kind of like jack douglas's i was like okay who produced deep purple back then well deep purple well i guess they're not going to produce kiss so um you know you know th- those sort of sounding albums for me i, I wanted to kind of bu- go back into the the period and see if there was anyone else who had like a sound going that was so different from what Kerner and Wise actually came up with and I I just don't think that there was any option for you know they didn't do a bad job on that first album it doesn't quite have the edge but I think it's you know really a good presentation of the Um, material. stuff I would love to change with the first album it revolves around love theme and kissing time obviously kissing time's not on the original release so I would say keep it off the original release. Keep it off all future releases. It just doesn't do anything for the uh, for the album. Though I get why they did they they did add it. It's more the songs that were missed in the catalog. Love theme should be the full thing with acrobat should be acrobat basically. You know, with the the heavy intro, the or the instrumental intro and the heavy, much too young part that follows. And I think let me go rock and roll or whatever it was called at that time, should have been on the album as well. Maybe even watching Baby you. Let Me Go. Yeah, called. babe, thank you. <laughs> Baby Let Me Go. And, uh, you know, watching you. You know, they really should have used all of that strong material because it's such a short album. Regardless, even, you know, once you take out Kissing Time, it's freaking short. So I know that was kind of standard for albums at the time, but I would have just gotten all that stuff out right at the beginning and made them write more stuff um 
as they went down the road. So that's my take on the first album. Ultimately, I don't think you can really change too much on it. It's just kind of perfection for Kiss as a W. Lonnie, what's your take? Um, I There's not a whole lot I'd change on the first album because it is, you know, it's the starting ground for what became Kiss. And there's, I don't have a problem with, with the producers on it. Um, I, I think the album sonically sound, sounds good, too. So there's not a whole lot I would change. I would definitely change, and we've mentioned this before, I would definitely change the back album cover because it's basically un, unreadable. You can't read or see anything on there. It's it's just it's just totally ridiculous. And I, I Uninspired? Who, yeah, I don't, I don't know who, <laughs> yeah. who, one, thought up that idea... Or who too said, who said, yeah, that is a good idea. Let's use it. Let's go with it. So um, that that'd be the first and foremost thing that would change. And I'm not going to disagree with you about kissing time. I think it it totally takes away from what they were trying to say on that album. And then you have kissing time on there. It's like it it just it doesn't fit at all on there. So I would I would have left that. I would obviously left that off. And you know, I, I said last week that you could have left um, "Love Theme" from Kiss off and put on, and put on "Watching You," like like Mark said earlier. So, I mean, that song is obviously out there, and songs like "Lover" or "Like Can" were out there too at the time. I mean, they're Wicked Lester songs. So, um, I don't I don't understand the 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 need to go with an instrumental. Who told them that was a good idea either? So. Um, That'd be my take. Is really the back album. I, I don't have a problem with with the album cover itself. I, I think because I've I've seen it so many times and it's so iconic in my mind that that I that I have grown to love it. So for me, it'd be the back album cover. Love theme from Kiss, Kissing Time, and put on maybe um, watching you or or um, what did I just? What was the other one? I said Lover All I Can. Yeah. Yeah, and I just crunched the numbers on that. I took off Love Theme, I took off Kissing Time, put on Watching You and Let Me Go Rock and Roll. Uh, so, And the time, you know, it's 35 minutes, 35 minutes. So, yeah. you know, that certainly would have been feasible um, with how the album is formatted. I know that you like to keep it to less than 20 minutes per side of the final for a better quality pressing. So, Ken, first album, do we commit sacrilege and change anything in your mind? Yeah, well, I did a couple episodes ago. <laughs> I said I changed the cover. Um, yeah, because my first impression of the cover was, what the heck? You know, it's clowns, right? That's what I said. Um, <laughs> uh, and I I recommended at that time, or my thoughts on it were, they should have had a full group. Uh, maybe not the, the red, you know, that's a good, you know, that photo session's good. Um, but I would have rather had them with their instruments on stage, similar to a live, which I said before. Um, so that's what I would have gone with. And uh, the back cover, yeah, they could have done something better with that. Like I said, I think on the other episode, uh, they could have put the four faces on the back cover instead of the front. Um, so that's where I go there. As for a producer, I would have I would have stuck with Eddie Kramer. Um, he his his uh, demos is what sold, you know, uh, you know Bogard and and uh, who was the other person uh, that told Bogard about it? I can't remember now. 
uh, blank, but uh, who listened to it first uh, before Bogart. I'm not talking about uh, a wasn't coin. It a, Kenny wasn't it a Kenny Kenny Kerner? Kerner heard it. Yeah, yeah. Kerner, Kerner, yeah, it was Kerner. Kerner. So, you know, even though Kerner liked it, uh, and you know, he became one of the two producers. I, I would have, I still would have went with uh, Eddie Kramer. Um, just just me. And then uh, as for Kissing Time being on there or them adding it, I would have replaced it, like Mark said, with uh, something else. And Lonnie also said, too, um, uh, maybe, uh, you know, watching you, yeah, something like that. Um, as for the, the instrumental song, um, yeah, they should have had the full acrobat thing on there um i would have rather had that in context you know not just stripping that out of it and it doesn't make any sense to have that on there like that and then the last thing would be to instead of the droning uh outro of, of black diamond i would have had a, a either a hard stop uh or or a, yeah stop like what they would do how they would treat the song in concert um, they kind of do, you know, the over and over uh, riff at the end there, um, but and, and just end it like they did in concert. I mean, that would have been better. Or they not slow it down and then fade it out, let it fade out, you know, something like that. But I, I never, I never got that slowing down of it. It, it just kind of didn't work well, for I, me too much. I remember hearing something that Gene actually thought it was some fantastic, you know you know, impressive recording technique that he thought was great to do. So, and, and I remember him, him also saying that uh, he mentioned it to uh, the, the Van Halen guys when they were doing the demo that, you yeah. know, that he thought of that whole ending sequence that was slowing <laughs> down the tape. So you've got to blame Gene for that. So, yeah. So th those, that's my thoughts. I mean, I mean, you know, it's a great album, but uh, yeah, just some minor things here and there. Yeah, you know it, it's it's really hard to go back and touch something that's like kind of legendary, but yeah. uh, you know, yeah. and and now I've dug myself a hole when we get to hotter than hell. I'm like, well, mm. I've already taken let me go rock and roll and uh, watching you off and put it on the first album. Well, what the hell do I fill in on there? Yeah. I, I think a lot of people are gonna immediately, you know, when we talk about changing hotter than hell, jump into the sound of that album. And mm. how it's like having a couple of cardboard boxes on your ears, and it, it's so distant and muffled. And but you know, we've lived with it so long; it's really got a character of its own. I think if we were suddenly to find that they had, you know, <laughs> Mark's not going to buy that. Mark's not going to buy it. But <laughs> you know, let, let me keep trying, Mark. If someone was to play you that album, um, it would be a very strange experience if it sounded like the first album rather than what it does. I mean, obviously, we're so used to it now. We'd be like, oh, my God, there, we're actually, you know, it doesn't sound like a four-track recording or a two-track recording, you know, because it, it really so bled together sonically. That's going to be the first thing I would change, uh, change how it was recorded, keep them in New York in the same studios. Um, mm. We know why they did it on the West Coast, so they obviously didn't have too much choice but i would have replicated things as much as i could if i was using the same producers as the first album just to keep the consistency there if you're going to that that 
sort of level to try and keep them, you know, working with the same producers. I would have also told Ace, no, you're not allowed to build your own fucking app for the album. Forget it. Use the ones that are made by professionals. Put your soldering iron away and take those cardboard <laughs> boxes and put them back out in the recycle. You know. Yeah, what do you mean? <laughs> and they recycled it. <laughs> yeah, which, 1974, no such thing. Um, for mine, I mean, obviously, I, I took those two tracks off. What would I put back on? You know, I would throw Kissing Time on there, on the second album, because it would make more sense after the fact. It's been a radio single halfway through the cycle just to use it as, you know, a filler track if they're short of material. But they're not. You know, they've got plenty of songs that they could be doing, um, you know, and just pick one of the other ones to, to fill it out. Everything else on there, I wouldn't take any of those songs. I'd put Peter Chris's drum solo back in because that is an abomination that they took it out. How dare they mess with the cat, man? Put that solo back in. No, I'm joking, but <laughs> nah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Wow. I wouldn't change a thing with the rest of the songs, other than the sound. I wouldn't change the art uh, in any way because it's just so. It's so visually startling and different and eye-catching it, it really pops so that's that's me lonnie um you know before you get into another conversation sorry <laughs> i think they're leaving now i think i'm the last one here um you know the first thing i would do would be to change the album cover itself from that black and white shot to a color shot of the band i never understood why they that picture was in was in black and white. It's kind of it was in black and white because it was decades ago. Sorry, um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Color color pictures didn't exist in seventy four. I'm <laughs> corrected by Voss. Um, I know I, I would have put that shot in color, make it stand out more, make it pop more on the on the album cover itself. Because um, it's a very visual band. Why put them? Why put the band itself in black and white? with all these colors around them. It doesn't make any sense to me. So that'd be the first thing I'd do. And then, and then obviously, but I'm not going to agree with Julian about the sound, that I would I would love to hear a remixed or remastered version of Hotter Than Hell that doesn't sound like I have cardboard boxes over my ears. I think it'd be... Because the song, song for song, it's, their, it's one of, if not... I mean, it's one of their strongest albums with yep. song-wise. I mean, got to choose... Let me go rock and roll. Parasite, watching you. I mean, those are all staples to this day in their catalog. So it's it's really a shame to me that that that's the sound that we got off that album because I remember being you know in high school and that and somebody says, well, if I'm if I wanted to get into Kiss, what album should I listen? What album would you recommend me listening to? And I was really in the Hotter Than Hell at the time, but. I would, but I couldn't recommend them going and listening to Hotter Than because I really love the songs on there. But I couldn't say, "Oh yeah, go listen to this this album standalone by itself," because this it just doesn't stand up sonically to, um, especially with what they did with Dress to Kill. Because Dress to Kill just sounds yeah. immensely better, in my opinion, than than Hotter Than Hell. So, but the one thing, I, the, if I had to change one thing about Hotter Than Hell, it obviously would be the artwork on the front. I would have um, put that image in color. And and I would change, and I just would, and I would have uh, cleaned up the sound, and I wouldn't have let Ace use a homemade guitar amplifier with Julian on that as well. Does anyone think that they should have kept the original title? What the harder they come, 
instead of hotter than hell. Or yeah. I like hotter, hotter than hell because it sounds more edgy. And do you think you could really listen to Strange Ways and not have it sounding so heavy, so dirty, so sludgy? Can you imagine hearing that clean? Or even the guitar chords at the beginning of Coming I... Home? You know, Mark, let's go to you as the musician, you know, here, the real musician here. Well, I have a few differing opinions, though, to be honest. I think, obviously, the first thing that I would have done for this record is I would have changed producers right away. And in my preparing for this, I found myself having a common thread in that, that I found that I would have changed producers every single album with these guys for the first six records, because I found that almost when they had another guy come in, that it just seemed like they may, might have connected better with them. It was somebody different. They didn't. They weren't so used to the person. And when you get used to somebody... You get lackadaisical. You don't, you know, you don't, you don't give it your all. I mean, I'm, I'm, ta- I'm expect, I'm giving this from my own experience too. When you become comfortable with people, sometimes you're not willing to give your hundred percent. You're not, you don't want to. You're trying to impress people when you first meet them, and when you get a new producer in there, you want to show them how good you are and how good you do things. And if you're working on a guy for like four or five records in a row. By the time you're doing the third record, you're so used to this guy. He's have, you're coming him over for having him come over for dinner and stuff. You're, he's not even like a producer. He's just like a friend now at this point, right? So I'd say to get a different producer in there. And there's quite a few different producers I was thinking about at this time. There was like Jack Douglas was around at this time. Even Eddie Oford, who did some of the Yes records, was around. You know, But the one guy who I was thinking about who I, I would have loved to push to do this record was Glenn Johns, who did the Who records. I thought that he would have given them just enough of the ballsier edge to their music without making it sound too different. You know, I mean, the Who and Kiss, yeah, they're not the same thing, but they were sort of, in my opinion, mining similar kind of, you know, material in my opinion in the sense of the whole rock and roll attitude right so i think that glenn johns would have been a great guy to come in and do that he's every record i've ever heard him do i've i've liked he's he has he's done he's done a great job with those who records some of my favorite who records he's obviously did right and um another thing that julian brought up that i think is very important is that i would have really pushed for them to stay in new york city i think that they were out of their element in la they didn't feel comfortable there and I think staying in New York City would have made them feel comfortable, would have maybe made them in a better mood and attitude, especially when you're working on songs and possibly even writing songs. I mean, you want to be in a good frame of mind doing that. And, you know, being in L.A. where, you know, Paul gets his guitar stolen, you know, and stuff like that, that's not a good mind frame to be in when you're trying to accomplish your follow-up record, right? And, I mean, it, it's this is a lot of this is mental, you got to remember, right? Because, I mean that that kind of stuff really hampers someone's creativity. And the whole thing with, with uh, Kerner and Weiss that really bugged me is this whole thing with the changing of the monitors in the studio, how they kept having stuff changed out, gear being changed out while they were recording. If these guys are professional you know, engineers and producers, they should have put their foot down and said, listen, you're not changing anything in here anymore. Leave these in here because speakers are like your lifeblood to the production of the stuff. I mean, you get used to the sound of the music coming out of the speakers, and when you keep changing them, believe it or not, changing speakers can change the sound that you hear 
when you're recording. And I mean, now all of a sudden, something that sounded like it had a good mid-range into it, you put a different kind of speakers in there that are that are sonically different. All of a sudden, the mid-range has changed. You thought, well, what the hell happened here now? Now I got to go and change everything. And meanwhile, you didn't have to because it's just a matter you change the speakers and the illusion of it changing just occurred. Not really, it didn't really occur. You know what I mean? So you got to be very careful with that kind of stuff. You got to be careful with gear. Keep it the way it is and do your record top to bottom with the same gear. That's a that's a thing that I read on every single form I've ever been on. Never change your gear midstream because you're going to pay for it in the end. Unless someone steals your guitar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and, and that was a whole bunch of really good points on the musical uh, perspective. I, I also wonder how much of this affected uh, Kerner and Wise moving from East Coast. I, and I haven't done the research in advance to look up where they had actually worked. Had they worked at Village Recorder, you know, a lot before, you know, doing yeah. that second album with Kiss because I, I had always been under the impression, you know, that they were generally, you know, tied with Neil and Buddha. And, you know, I, that's something I want to now go and look up and, and see if they'd worked out of there before. Because if you're not going to change your, you know, your speakers, your, your, the tools of your trade, is the, you know, the producer or the engineer's familiarity with the equipment that they're running tape through to capture stuff. I mean, that's equally important for what you're capturing. So are, are they fully versed on, I can't even remember what console they had in that studio off the top of my head. Um, Ken, let's go to you on there. Yes, yeah, so um, I agree with Lonnie about... The picture, that was one of the things that I had written down that I would have rather had a, a color photo. I think someone had mocked up online. We've seen them mm-hmm. before where they put it as a color and it looked, a looked better to me. Yeah, it, lo- it looked better. Um, as for the songs on the album, I wouldn't change any songs. They're all perfect for that album. No problems. They're great songs. Um, classics. Now, as for a producer, I, I understand Mark's points on uh, sometimes you get too comfortable with somebody, but in some cases maybe that's a good thing, in some cases not. Um, if you look at bands like Rush or or Van Halen, who had a producer that was stuck with them for a long time, they did pretty darn good. Um, so, you know, I guess... If you, it's exception if you, to the rule. I there's think. exceptions, sure, uh, but if you get a good producer and start off with one, and it turns out to be pretty good, then might as well stick with them. So, I'm going to say Eddie Kramer again for the second album. I would have rather had than the uh, the Sludge Brothers, um, <laughs> who produced Otter and Hill. So, <laughs> that's just a new nickname I just came up with. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and that's it. The producer and the the uh, the cover. That, that's it. Songs are great. And, and there's an actually a, a good point. Yet, yeah, yeah, certain bands. Alice Cooper Band is a great example of a band that grew, or Alice Cooper with uh, Bob Ezrin. That they progressed from one album to the next and grew incrementally, um, both in terms of the songwriting, in terms of the performance, yeah. in, in terms in terms of everything. Like from well, schools out to billion dollar babies. Yeah, I mean, you know, just just think of the development and maturity that was coming along there as Bob learned his trade more because he he never stopped being a student of sound even to this day and to the songwriting and to the performance and all that. 
And then think of the bands. You, you know, Ted Templeman's a great example with Van Halen. He worked with them all the way through the David Lee Roth era. Yeah, but you know what? Sorry, i got to cut, cut you off on one thing, though. The thing is, though, you got to remember one thing. Look at Paul and Gene and those guys, and then look at someone like Alice Cooper. I get the feeling that these people were very receptive to these people and their ideas. You know, mm-hmm. we look at Paul and these guys now, they're not receptive to anything. I mean, no. who knows Who knows how early that so, kind so, of mentality crept in, what they're, what they're making of their records. I mean, oh, completely to, to, agree. Ha- to have somebody in there for a long period, you've got to be willing to grow with them and accept and our ideas and go through it with them. If you're not willing to do that, then it doesn't matter. And I mean, and another point that I read about a hundred times is that Ted Templeman has been known to be to work with difficult artists. If you look that up, you'll see that it's in there in his bio that he's been known to work with difficult artists, i.e. Van Halen. Right. Well, I mean, th- in general, look at Fair Warning. That album was apparently a nightmare to make, but he kept it together and made a record that people still love to this day. I don't know, band, but they should have completely exploded at that point. Sorry, love, love fair warning. That is one of my favorite Van Halen albums. Yeah. But also think yeah, that same here. You know, you've got the George Martins and Beatles. You know, he worked yeah. with them all through their career. We'll yeah. leave out yeah. the Phil Spector one because mm. that really doesn't count uh, where it falls in yeah. that band. What could another producer have done with the Beatles? Think about that for a second, because again, the same sort of symbiotic relationship that we kind of described with Ezrin and alice cooper you know george martin grew along with the beatles as they grew but what could someone who came in and totally said you know we're not using the same formula here we're using a different formula so i mean it's a fascinating thing to consider especially you know we're we're talking about other acts um moving up i guess we move on to dress to kill um yep and lonnie let's throw that one to you first well the kill. I would, I would include. I would have made it longer somehow because it's yeah. extremely short. I would have. Uh, I would have included like more. There's. I would have included more guitar on there. Like Rock and Roll Night doesn't even have a mm-hmm. guitar solo on it. You know, and but Ace had a card game. Well, boom. Well, okay. <laughs> Sorry, but I still would have. But get Dick Wagner to come in and put a guitar solo on it. Yeah, like, a cool. year later. Ouch. <laughs> You know, I mean, it, it's an icon, you know, like, like it or not, it's an iconic song. And the studio version doesn't even have a guitar solo on there from this guitar driven band, you know, that everybody that everybody loves and looks at Ace Frehley as a guitar hero. Their most iconic song doesn't even have a guitar solo in the studio version. It's kind of very odd. But I would have mm-hmm. added more guitar solos on there to try to lengthen the album a little bit, you know, or maybe... Maybe even dip into a little more Wicked Lustre like they did, or you know, try to put like a like a Keep Me Waiting on there somehow, and like you know, rock that up a little bit like they did Lover All I Can to try to lengthen the album a little bit because I really like I really like Dress to Kill. Um, it, I think it really kind of gets lost um, in the mix with the original six albums with um, with you know Destroyer and Rock and Roll Over and the original. I'm getting a lot of the attention, but you know, Come On and Love Me is probably my favorite kiss song ever. So, I mean, I, so I love dress to kill. So, and yeah, they were running a little bit short on material, I guess, by this point, cause they're, they're dipping their toe back into some of these wicked luster songs that they had avoided on the first couple albums. 
But I would have added more like his Luster songs. Like I said, I would like to see a rocked up version of, of Keep Me Waiting on there. But other than that, I don't have a whole... It's, it's hard to criticize these first six albums a whole lot because if you're going to defend Kiss in any way, shape, or form, you throw out these first six albums. Well, these are so great. How can you not like Kiss? I can find so, a way. <laughs> I can't. But, but as far as album cover goes, I wouldn't change it a bit. I think it's outstanding. Well, maybe here. Here's one thing I'd do. Instead of on the back having the same thing on the back, I would have taken that picture of them going into the telephone booth in their outfits, I mean, going into the telephone booth in the suits and then coming out in their outfits, like the whole Superman thing, I would have made that the back cover. Yeah, I mentioned that last time, too. Oh, well, sorry. No, sorry no, I don't. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, you know, this is a kiss-related podcast where we packaged earlier material. <laughs> to those early albums, I went out on a limb and said that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what I would have done. I too. risked. I would, I would have changed that back cover, that Superman thing. That's real, that is really <laughs> cool, and I do remember you saying that now, Mark. But that is that's such an iconic picture, though. That why didn't they use why didn't they use that for marketing purposes more than what they did? Because that's yeah. really yeah. really a freaking cool idea. That they didn't. I don't think they utilized as much as they should have. So, so mm-hmm. why didn't they use the color version as well then? All right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, for whomever it was who had suggested that the hotter than hell cover picture should yeah. have been the color yeah. version. Sure. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think there is there actually a color version of that hotter than hell picture. Just taking a step back, or was that one that a fan th- did, found colorized? I think there is a color. hotter than hell picture. Mm-hmm. I think it's it, it was colored pictures. It was taken as color picture. I thought, but I, I think it's a fan creation. But, but yeah, they, that's one to one for to be corrected I, on I, by folks out there. All I know right. the photo shoot looked like it was in color, but I don't know. All right, so Lonnie. And That's it. Not a whole, not a whole lot because I, I like to see like the. I guess I keep me waiting. More guitars, and maybe that Superman telephone booth. Yeah, keep me yeah. keep me waiting is a great idea. I mean, I would love to hear that. Um, you know, because look what they did with Lover All I Can from from the Wicked Lester sessions to what you get on on Dress to Kill. You know, I would I would love to hear what they could have done with Keep Me Waiting in that same frame of mind. I think that would have been really cool. Yeah. So you know. I'm going to agree with you on on that, that Keep Me Waiting would be a great candidate. I mean, it's a 30-minute album. Right. The, the guitar solo, obviously, in Rock and Roll All Night is kind of, uh, you know, I would have also said a real producer because Neil Bogart I just never thought was a real producer, nor was Kiss at that stage of their career. That would have been the time if the record label just, you know, happened to have something minor like money to pay money. someone. You know, so they were very limited by what they were able to do. The band didn't have as much material as the story, but just think of what they de- they demoed two other songs with Rock and Roll All Night and what's the other one? I can look it up and Anything for My Baby. They did Burning Up with Fever and Mistake at the same time. Mm, so they, they did have other material, <laughs> but I guess they wouldn't have been ready necessarily to uh, put a song so different as Mistake on the album yeah. burning up with fever should have been on a kiss album well in advance of gene yeah being, i agree you know being able to yeah. re-record that for me for me you know that's the only stuff i i would add i would add you know those two songs which date from the era to everything else and then you're probably up to a 35 minute album again so you know that's right and it you know the same sort of length as the first album i wouldn't change the cover apart from maybe putting the the 
fourth S on figuring out a way to do the kiss alignment oh, yeah. <laughs> along the uh, outside without cutting off letters. Uh, I, I, I don't want to change it. It's just too. It, it's just too. I don't it's know. Too iconic. Like, it, yeah. You know, I, I don't want to use the overuse the word iconic, but it's just visually appealing. The back cover sucks balls. I mean, that just the reversed image. I don't care yeah. for. But you know, when you hold they're that, out of money too. Yeah, when you hold that package, yeah, they're so out of money they could afford to have the cover embossed. Wow. With, with the, yeah, exactly the, the raised lettering. So think think yeah. about well, that's that. the story you're getting though during that time frame though. Yeah, and, and yeah, they were they were definitely in trouble. So you know, I would add those two songs, and that's it. Everything else, you know, I, I don't even know about adding "Keep Me Waiting" at this time. I you know maybe that should have gone on an earlier album, um, being probably one of the best of the Wicked Lester songs. Ken, your take on uh, "Dress to Kill"? Yeah, well, like uh, we talked about the, some covers that we would change, and that was one of them. And uh, yeah, I agree with the the Superman. Theme, the, the that photo session going into phone booth and coming out in their uh, you know costumes and uh, that would have been great if they, they did something like that. Um, uh, as for the music on there, I agree. There's missing solos there, and some of those solos are very short that are there. Um, so I would have definitely had Ace, you know, crank up some so some solos. I'm guessing that. Neil Bogart, he's comes from that, you know, quick pop two minute song. And that's, that's why exactly. they're that short and a lot of those songs did not that's have it's on there, yeah. A lot of those songs didn't have guitar solos. They were just, you know, quick hit you with a, a, a quick hook and draw you in and you know, before you know it, the song's over. Um they didn't mess around with the solos. So that's was that's I, I guess my belief why they're missing solos or short solos. Um, as for the songs themselves, um, I wouldn't add anything. Wouldn't add anything. Just, you know, extend the, the songs out a little bit. Um, and uh, that would be it. Just the cover and the, the songs, the solos. That, Producer, I, I mean, I could have said Kramer again. <laughs> I didn't. I mean, I'm, so far I've done two, but uh, I'm going to go with This Is Okay. Because uh, you know, I think the sounds all right. It works for me. It's still a it's still a bit thin, but uh, it's a little thin. You know, I don't think Neil Bogart was ever going to be a, a Phil Spector kind of. You know, he was like record it. <laughs> oh, two takes. That's costing me twice as much. You know, record it, press it, sell it. You know, give me the money. You know, so Mark. Yes. Let's get into that side with you. You know. Well, there's a few points that I thought of when I heard this record. I mean, don't get me wrong, I like Dress to Kill. It's one of those records that I find is a total summertime record, but just like you guys, the problem with this record is I'm getting into it, and before I know it, bam, it's done. It's too short, you know, and it's got to be longer, number one. Number two, Neil Bogart was the wrong guy to produce, produce this record. I understand why it happened. They were low on money. He wanted to come in. He wanted to... You know, keep an eye on them because rumors were running rampant that they were leaving, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, in a in the perfect alternate world where they didn't have to worry about any of those things and they could have brought in somebody else, even if they would have kept Neil Bogart in there, I would have said to maybe let Dave Whitman have a little bit more input on this record. I mean, as an engineer, he's done some excellent stuff with these guys. So I uh, I kind of think that he would have been probably a good idea to have a little bit more input on it. Also, another thing that I think that's important to bring up is 
they should have gave the band more time to write. Like even given them like an extra three, four days in a rehearsal studio, let them go in there and work on some more songs. I know that they were desperate to push these guys back out on the road to continue to keep the momentum going, but I think it would have totally benefited the record that they would have had a couple of more days to sit down and write some songs still because i mean sure they might have had a couple songs here and there but they could have if they had more time they could have maybe fleshed them out better maybe put added some more decent licks into, into songs that they had or maybe lengthened them a little bit you know maybe added in some more icing onto them to make them sound better you know and the other thing that i wanted to bring up as well <coughs> was besides beside the fact of maybe bringing in another producer like a jack richardson who i think would have been a good person at this point to bring in he's a very rock and roll kind of guy you know he's done the guess who alice cooper peter gabriel stuff like that you know so i mean he's a good kind of guy to bring in he he knows his way around a mixing board and stuff but the gear okay when i read in that book that they were using little 15 watt amplifiers for gene on bass and a little fender fender champ amp for guitars i was scratching my head going what the hell are these guys doing battery operated (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like you're supposed to be supposed to be using gear. If you want a big sound, you use a decently sized amp. Sure, it doesn't have to be a big, you know, you don't have to bring in five Marshall stacks in there, but bring a half stack at least, you know, or bring a really good combo amp, like a 212 Marshall Bluesbreaker amp or something, like something like, you know, that, that, that would really fill out the sound more. And for the bass, I mean, you got to put something in there that throws a little bit more thunder than a 15-watt amp in there, okay? I mean, that's why this record sounds thin. The drums sound good. I love the sound of the drums on this record. I think they did a good job. Dave Whitman, I tip my hat to you. And, you know, but you know what? Ace Freely, the man is about Gibson guitars and Marshall amps. Where were they? They weren't anywhere to be found, these Marshall amps on this album. So, you know, two two strikes to Mr. Freely for that because he should have came and said, hey, Carly, where's my Marshall? And bring it in there and set it up and they should have did it and they should have recorded it that way and bring in the proper gear that they use live. I mean, they're saying we don't get the same sound in the studio that we do live. Well, of course not because you're not using Fender Champs and 15-watt Ampeg amps live. You're using different gear. You want that sound? Bring in the gear that you're using. End of rant. Nice. May I say one comment? Yes, you may. On the producer thing. No Neil Bar, no Neil Bogart, no rock and roll all night. I mean, yeah. he's the one that asked them while they were recording, I believe, to you know write an anthem. Oh, they wrote it. Maybe they could have wrote something else. Yeah, they write before. Yeah, they wrote it. I thought the story they, was they, he, they wrote he, it and demoed it on the West Coast. Okay. So well before they got, you know, they did uh, this is the so yeah, them that so. far back. Oh yeah, yeah, that was okay. back in January. So okay. you know, that far back, I mean, obviously everything's, yeah, so, ev- ev- everything's so compressed that yeah, you know, it was you know, two weeks two weeks later they're back on the East Coast and they're recording. But yeah. uh, they had okay. already they had already demoed it and that. Version, I thought it was a time of recording, yeah. but uh, yeah, okay, okay, alive. Do we really have to do this one? Go for it, Ken. I wouldn't change anything. That's, <laughs> that's me. That's my comment. Lonnie? I I wouldn't change a thing. It's perfect. Mark? Okay, the only things I put... <laughs> oh, come were, on! And hang on, hang on. I was going to say, this, this is literally what I put down. I put, 
next to perfect as you could get as far as a product. Okay. Yep. I also said, if I would have tried to maybe record more multiple night shows besides the Kobo Hall, okay. right? Maybe a couple of them just to, because think of it from a technical standpoint. If you record in one place, you don't have to keep tearing shit down, putting it back up again, and you get to keep the sound consistent and maybe it would have been more consistent in tone and he maybe wouldn't have to do as much fiddle faddling with it later. Who knows? Maybe they would have got a take where they didn't have to replace so much of Paul singing. Who knows? That's all for a crystal ball to tell us, but we don't know, right? But I said, and this is the thing I put too. I go, as far as everything else in here, the only other person I could think of that I could see mixing this record is Martin Birch. He did live in Japan, like made in Japan for, yeah. for, uh, Deep Purple, right? I mean, years later, he did live after that. This man, when he touches live albums, it's fantastic. And he's been around at this point, so he's more than willing to be around to work on something like this. You know, believe me, I love this record. I think Eddie Kramer did a great job on this. And the only other thing I would have did as far as the packaging is maybe just put in like a kind of, you know, souvenir trinkety backstage pass laminate for the fans, like in the thing along with the booklet. And that's the only other thing I would have said. Maybe one other thing is on the back cover, you put like a, a Where's Waldo kind of find, and you put the little kiss heads in in the audience, and you have to find them. <laughs> there you go. Nice. Okay, I, I would change one thing, and that is uh, include Let Me Know. That's oh, it. that's good. That, that, that is okay. it. I mean, I, yeah. I don't even know if I'd... Uh, hold on, is it on the room service? Room service? No, yeah, room service and Let Me Know. You know, but it, it's already a pretty long know. album. I mean, it's it's fucking perfect. Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, it, that 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 would just be the minor thing. It's it it allows us or or use let me know as the B side for the single, so that you at least had a had okay. had a B there side. You go. Don't hey. cha- don't change anything on the album. Just use that as a B side. Um, then we get into even more dangerous territory, I guess, with a uh, destroyer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, destroyer. The fans versus, I guess, Bob Ezrin. Do we change anything on this album? I'm going to go straight back to you, Mark. Okay. Things wrong with Destroyer. Well, I'm not going to. I'm not going to say there's a million things wrong with it, but there's a few things that I would have changed with it. Mm-hmm. Number one, I, I would have, believe it or not, I would have kept Ezrin as the producer. I, I think that he did a good job with making the songs that they had in their demo form much better. In finished form, definitely. I mean, you listen to Detroit Rock City in its earliest form, and then listen to the finished. It's night and day. So, as a arranger songwriter, you keep Bob Ezrin. But where everybody seems to have the problem with this record is it doesn't sound like Kiss, man. What's with the piano and this and that, and the guitars don't sound ballsy, and why is there so much reverb and blah blah blah? So why? So if I would, if I had that, you know, same thought again. I would pick somebody else to mix it because I know Ezrin is very futzy wutsy with his kind of, you know, things. He, I like to keep my all my effects on my tracks and stuff like that. But if you had somebody else working in tandem with them who would have mixed the record, I think they could have worked that out where they would have just left it and let somebody else mix it. And there are lots of people at this time that could have did it. I mean, the people that we already mentioned could have mixed it. Even though here's a wild card one to put in. How about someone like Alan Parsons maybe to work on it, you know? I mean, he just finished doing like, you know, Dark Side of the Moon, one of the most classic records of all time. Get him in there and mix something like this. Imagine what Destroyer would have sounded like then if you had somebody like him 
working on a record like this? Wow, I thought it, I think it would have been, you know, maybe not as rock and rolly as well. Maybe it would have been a little bit more trippy as well. But maybe it would have been something that would have been cool. I mean, maybe he would have made it more rock. Who knows? Because I mean, he's he's not only a, you know, acid dropping sci-fi kind of music mixer kind of guy. He does other stuff too, right? But I mean. You know, there's also people like Andy Johns, you know, somebody like him who worked with Zeppelin or somebody like somebody who could have took took the record, did, took all the great things that Ezrin did with it, songwriting wise, and gave it the the balls that it wanted to appease the fans that were gonna, you know, be kind of shaking their heads and scratching their heads listening to it sonically. So I don't think many people said that the songs are terrible. I think lots of people just say that sounds so different. That's what you always hear. It sounds so different. It sounds so different. So bring the sound back a bit to it. And the only other thing that I thought that might be might have been a good thing to do is since they were adding in stuff already on like a live with like, you know, the booklet and stuff like that. I thought what might have been cool was for Ken Kelly to maybe draw up an alternate kind of little poster that they could have included in with the album. Like another image that Matt tied in with the Destroyer kind of imagery like some something else that kind of connects the album cover to another image you know what i mean and just something that fans can take out of the album go hey that's really cool and put up on their wall because i mean they like you said they were starting to come at this point with adding little trinkets and gifts for fans for buying the record so why not do it there interesting definitely lonnie um destroyer is tough for me because i've and I've sung Destroyer's praises on this show many times. It's it's hard for me to go in there and change anything, to be perfectly honest. Um, I was thinking about this. I was tri- driving to work today, going through albums in my mind. Okay, well, okay, I do this. Okay, I do that for this album. And I was like, God, I don't... Destroy- I, I guess... And, and, and it goes back to a lot of... You know, we, we talk about... You know what what certain albums mean to us and why, like like you know, Revenge means to me or what Asylum means to Julian and things like that. Because that album is like so imprinted in my mind, you know, it's my first exposure to the band. I like I didn't like Destroyer Resurrected even because it it, it changed it and it it changed it. I mean, I it's not it's so burned in your mind. It's not that's not what Destroyer sounds like. Yeah. And, and, and going back to Julian's point from earlier, maybe that's how I'd feel if Hotter Than Hell was my first exposure to Kiss and Hotter Than Hell got the treatment that we always say it should get. Then, oh, no, that's not that's not how Hotter Than Hell should sound. So I think, that, I th- I think that would be the case, exactly. So, you know, you know to, to Julian's point, you know, maybe he has something there because, I, I, you know, that makes sense to me because I didn't I didn't care for Destroyer Resurrected in, in that same vein. So I'm I'm gonna cop out on this one like I did on the last one because Destroyer means so much to me and I it's so perfect in my mind that that I wouldn't change anything. Yeah, and, and that's the problem with anything. I mean, when Tim interviewed Bob for Destroyer Resurrected years ago, mm-hmm. and you know he did ask him about you know Resurrected and how does Bob Ezrin remix Bob Ezrin, and you know I can't listen to Resurrected. It's not miles away from where the original destroyer was but there's enough going on there that you're like whoa wait that's like no not, that's, that's not that's not on the original like the drums one like the drums of king of the nighttime world when it comes in like no 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 that's not how those drums were supposed to sound there there are just too many times that your your brain's and kind of mi- it's, ca- it's causing too, and i don't like that yeah it's causing misfires it's like whoa that's that's not supposed to be you know so, <laughs> 
so I th- I think totally. You know, when we talk about you know just taking a step back to hotter than hell, it would be the same situation if that ever were remastered and remixed and made sonically clear. I mean, the Kiss fan brain would be going, oh whoa 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 whoa, you know. You know it's not supposed to be that clear. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I wonder how many people do listen to Resurrected now as their definitive version of destroyer i have not listened to it since it came out pretty much yeah you know you know i've listened to it a few times you know number one i don't like the artwork um so it it just never gets taken down and number two i am just not comfortable with with the material on it i think when we get back to the original destroyer if you know there, there was a fly on the wall in 1976 i would have said it needs another song that's the only thing I would change is that it is too damn short, and even with the rock and roll demons, yeah. um, you know, it's just so iconic. Though. Coda and the newscaster intro musically, it's so short. I wouldn't change a thing with Cali- Calliope's pianos, the sound yeah. of the album. It, you know, it just needs one more song. You know what? The one thing that was interesting about this is I remember of a couple of years back when they did a, I think it was. The, uh, the podcast did a roundtable and John Humphreys was in the roundtable and they talked about uh, the resurrected album and he, John Humphreys was singing his praises saying that he really liked it and stuff like that and how it was really much more powerful sounding and how a lot of the things that were done to it were brought it up to date and stuff like that but I think that there is what people kind of frowned on though was because like Lonnie who this album is so embedded in his psyche and it's such a part of his, you know, Kiss fandom. That sound, that 1976 sound that they did, was what you expect to hear in it. And when you try to bring a record like that and make it sound more 2000-ish, it just sounds wrong to people's yeah. ears. In the same way, in the same way that people don't like those um, re-records that they put out in 2008, 2009. Julian just made Julian just vomited a little bit in his mouth when I brought it up. <laughs> I, I listen to those re-records about as much as I listen to Destroyer Resurrected in the same vein because they don't that that's not how those songs sound and I know you can and we can do a whole other show about those re-records but I you guys, I mean you guys don't listen to those honestly you? honestly when it first came out I listened to it a lot I listened to it almost every day for like <laughs> two months honestly, I really don't like but it. But I don't, I don't like. You know what? I don't like it because there's one thing that's really missing from that, and that's the fire and the emotion of the originals. Because when they first, when you, there's something about when you first write a song and you lay it down, the excitement of writing a new song. This is no longer new music to them. This is just like, oh, we got to do it because we want to get the copyright back. So let's just get in there and write and go in and record it again, and that's it. So the same energy and spirit is not in those recordings as they were in the originals. There's no spirit in those recordings whatsoever, and they completely lack any fire. They lack any really energy. They, they, yeah, totally. They are just paint-by-numbers. Um, I'm sorry, tribute bands put more passion into their performances um, covering KISS material than that I, was present that's on That's another show, but that's on those. Yeah, and the production qualities of that is just utter, utter garbage. And... Uh, you know that's kind of you know we're gonna get off topic here rapidly if I continue my rant. So, um, who, who's next on Destroyer? Ken, me. Ken, go for so, it. So uh, I'll make it quick. Um, 
the first thing is, uh, as for the cover, I would have had them have kept that destruction behind them in that photo. I mean, come on. They were getting, they are worried about, they're supposed to be dangerous. Uh, and I know. This is the point where they're starting to turn a corner and become safe. And uh, I would have rather kept the, more of the destruction and the painting behind them um, on the cover. As for the music, um, I would have rather have had the original lyrics to Great Expectations. No, that's good. I would have rather had that. Yeah. Um, and pretty much nothing else except I, I always like the version of God of Thunder on Alive 2, which is at a, you know, a faster pace. Right, uh, I, I kind of would have loved to h- hear that at that you know at that speed. So uh, that's it. Otherwise, great album. I don't have too much bad to say about it. I mean, it's it's, it's a classic. What are you going to do? So now that we've talked about Bob Ezrin, let's get to perfection. Rocking all over. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm I'm. I've That's listened tough to, too. you know, I've listened to that album three times this week, just in the course of my usual listening while I work. And as much as you know, today I'm going to say I'm not a big fan of "See You in Your Dreams." I would replace that with a different song, and that's it. Again, we get into—I I don't want to use the word iconic, but that cover is, you know, yeah. to, to me, it. it's iconic. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I wouldn't change anything with the cover. I wouldn't change anything with the packaging. It's just perfect. The inner dust sleeve is beautiful. Uh, you know, the sticker mm-hmm. was a nice mm-hmm. inclusion. The yeah. the music on the album, the production qualities for Thanks. me. That you know, we've said it before, and we'll say it probably a hundred more times during the course of the the podcast. For me, the production of this album is what Kiss sounds like. It captures them completely. It's the most honest recording for Kiss in the studio to date. So, you know, other than today, I don't particularly care for one song. I would replace it maybe with Ace's debut on Queen for a Day. You know, I I, I just can't think of that that much more that they had around that time that would have been really good. That would have fit in as well with the rest of this material. We know there was a lot of of demos like Rotten to the Core, um, you know. I'm not going to go through the list. Look, look them up. They're in one of my books. You know. <laughs> smoke. Look them up. Smoke. And no, I don't know. If smoke would work, but um, yeah. you know, mis- mistake would be, would have been a nice counterbalance to Hard Luck Woman mm. with the acoustic guitars, um, yeah. and and just being stylistically different. But again, knowing their mindset at this time, but we're getting back to what we know we're good at. We're not doing anything that complex. We're not letting our producer, you know, add in anything. It, it's it's just don't change a thing on Rock and Roll Over, and I'm perfectly fine with that. I can't even get creative and come up with any ways to make it better. You know, it's got solos in the songs. It's got the right production. Lonnie, let's go to you on there. Um, man, that's it. Just get we're right in the the thick of the band being as as big as they could possibly be, and it's it's really hard to to criticize the band that you love at its peak in releasing you know their best three albums in a row. 
uh, you know, arguably with Alive, Destroyer, and Rock and Roll over back to back to back. It's, um, but I'm I'm kind of with Julian on the See You in Your Dreams. Of it's kind of a it's the only clunker really on the album, and why Gene thought he needed to re-record it again, make it even worse than it was the first time around. I don't know. <laughs> She's going to ban me on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. Walking on thin ice there. Thin ice, Lonnie. Right. But it's... It, you know, it. so take out... Here, I, I just looked it up here. See You in Your Dreams is two minutes and 31 seconds. You know, you, you can take that out and, and the album's still just as iconic. So I'm, I'm going to copy off Julian and say that's the only thing I do is I take off See You in Your Dreams and... Maybe you don't even need to add anything in, it, in its place because the album's so great that it doesn't need it. Mark's disagreeing with me. Mark has a whole list of, of problems he has. He has a list of grievances with rock and roll over. <laughs> <laughs> then let's go to Mark. Let's hear it. <laughs> well, you'll be, you're in for a little bit of a shock. I have absolutely no problem with this record. It is one of my favorite records of all time. I absolutely love this record. And... There's only one thing I'm going to say about this, and that is you guys are nuts to want to take off See You in my in my, in Your Dreams. Instead, I would have took off Baby Driver. That's the Ooh. one that should have came off. Oh, I like that good, song good. is garbage, okay? It's, it's just one Charlie. riff over and over and over again in that song. It is terrible. It is, it, it is come on, they already have it's a terrible. good Peter. They have a good Peter song on there already. Just let him have one. And I agree with Julian. They should have pushed and put Ace on with Queen for a Day. This should have been the record and he made his debut. That would have made it the perennial six out of five star album if he would have went on there with that song. And, you know, I mean, and it, and it would have completed something earlier on that I think that Kiss should have been identified with earlier on is that everybody in this band sings. They should have solidified that at that point with a singing on it i mean come on you could if you really love baby driver that much just put it on love gun then i mean come on i mean <laughs> just but not on this record i mean it's just one riff cycled over and over again i just i don't know why i don't know how you thought that that song is better than see you in your i'm just not saying that see you in your dreams is fantastic it's not but you know it's definitely better in my humble opinion Baby Driver is quirky. See you in your dreams is crap. That's just kind of the way I look at it. Baby Driver's quirky. It's like it's a kiss song. You know, it just I actually enjoy Baby Driver. It fits. It's a kiss song, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean everything else in that record is gold. I I just think it's fantastic. And I mean and that proves to me also that they don't need necessarily somebody like Bob Ezrin to write a good song. If they really sit down Put their minds to it. I mean, look at the songs they wrote for this record. I mean, come on. Yeah, they just need Sean Delaney. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. God bless him, you know. There you go. Ken. Okay. Yeah, this album is uh, my favorite Kiss album, so <laughs> there's nothing wrong. Uh, I'm okay with See You in Your Dreams. And yeah, it's not Gene's best, but it's not it's not bad. It's not worse, <clears throat> and I enjoy Baby Driver. I enjoy that. I enjoy the way Peter Chris sings that song. He yeah. just goes all out on that one. Um, but the the whole album, the sequ- the sequencing of the songs are perfect. 
on it. Um, production, again, like Julian said, this is the way Kiss sound. This is the sound of Kiss in my in my mind's like that's the perfect sound. Um, I was on last night on that live on podcast podcast Rock City Live. They were on there and they were playing Rock and Roll Over um, during their chat breaks. And uh, I was just listening. I was like, man, this just sounds so good. Um, so, yeah, I love it. I wouldn't change one thing, including artwork and contents and, and so on. It's it's perfect. Ten out of ten. Yeah. And I mean, it also brought up a very – sorry, just one last thing. I mean, it, this this also brought up a very another important thing about this record, too, is that they went off somewhere into a nice little theater little bit out of the way, but not mm-hmm. totally out of the way. I mean, Ace had a nice little small drive to do to go to her. So minds were in a good place when they did it. You know, they had a bit of fun. I remember reading that they were saying, you know, P- Peter was in the bathroom with the drum set and he was making little annoying pictures in the video camera and stuff like that. So, I mean, the, the whole vibe of it seemed to be pretty good, like not as stressful as maybe something like a destroyer. And that when you have that kind of a vibe, it shows up on your songs and in your recording. That's it. Yep. That's I thought you were going to say Peter's in the bathroom doing lines of cocaine. <laughs> that was the previous, hey. previous album. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Well known. Destroyer. Coke. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's move on to Love Gun. And Love, Love Gun, I've been working on all week uh, touring history, which doing my head, and I've not been able to listen to the album while doing this. Love Gun, again, for me, has the same problems for it sonically that Dress to Kill does. It just sounds, It's like the Crazy Nights of the Originals era, where it's sonically neutered. It's, it's overproduced. It's taken any edge out of it. And as good as the material is, I've, I'm sure I've said it before, if I could listen to stuff like I Stole Your Love, Love Gun, um, sounding the same production-wise as Rock and Roll Over did, then it would be just unbelievable as an album. But because it was you know, recorded in a different way, it, it's just too polished for me. The songs, it, it really bothers me that Then She Kissed Me is on there. That, we all shake our heads at the same time. That is just one thing that you know jumps out at me that I would change. Again, the artwork is fantastic. The you know again the packaging, everything from the superficial level, the the Sonics it it needs a tougher edge. But it had started to you know maybe the band starting to go in that direction where they're safer, a little bit more friendly sounding, you know. Mm-hmm. But then she kissed me as shit. Get it off there. Replace it with something else. Put one of Gene's songs on there. You know, anything. Let Just give him one of his songs. Give Peter another song. Shit. Uh, you know, Love Bite. Whatever. Just anything but that song. That cover. That piece of garbage. That <laughs> pointless, meaningless... Ah, okay. <laughs> Lonnie? How do you really feel? Um, you know, it's... It's it's really strange to me how they finally got it right on Rock and Roll Over, how they're supposed to sound in the studio. And they and fuck it all up. They didn't. They fucked it up. They didn't stick with the program. And I'll tell you why after you continue. Okay. <laughs> um, 
but you know they didn't they didn't stick with it. I mean they 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 finally got it right, and they oh well, and, and I guess they go we, well we can you know because they're they're kissing like that well we can do even better than that. And they and they they if if it's not broke don't fix it. And you finally you finally fixed it, and then you you go and and you overdo it, you know, in in pure kiss fashion, I guess. Um, but. You know, I think we're all going to say, and then she kissed me. Should not be on the album. And other than, I mean, but you know, and, and we were talking about this with with Dress to Kill. But song wise, like you were saying, Love Gun, I Stole Your Love, Shock Me, Plaster Caster. Song wise, it's right there with with the rest of them. Mm-hmm. You know, song for song, it's great. But the production is just, it's just, it's too friendly. I guess is is a is a good way to put it. Like Julie said, it's it's too fan friendly, or you know, they they were becoming a safer band at the time too, and they were they weren't as edgy, and and the egos were really out of control by this point too. So, you know, they they just they they were losing it. It's safe. It's it was lazy. the begin. It's the beginning of the end. Although it's the it's the last of the classic albums, and it really is the beginning of the end. And you can hear it listening to that album that it is the beginning of the end. That they're you look from where they came from the original album in '74 to where they are here. Had their sound, their sound had really changed, and they they're not they're not as edgy, obviously. I mean, and, and you know they're they're just they're they they become complacent almost by by the time Love Gun comes out. And they almost like the like you know, we're so big that we can't do anything wrong. Maybe you know we can get into that on on later episodes with with what we we speak about with what we do differently. But you can tell that that it's the beginning of the end. But production wise, and then and then she kissed me. I guess the I guess if really we can't do anything wrong, so we put on this piece of crap cover the end the album out. So um, then she kissed me in the production right in step lines up with Julian. I'm gonna make Mark wait for his. Uh, you got a list of You know, let's get let's go to Ken. Okay. B- build up the rage. Uh, yeah, I I agree. This this album needs to sound more like rock and roll over. That's what I wrote down. It, um, and of course, Mark has ideas how that happened, and and uh, <laughs> one of it's you know not recording in the same place. Of course, that's one of the reasons, but. Um, yeah, I can't explain what happened there. Um, the other thing, uh, yeah, then she kissed me. Get that off of there. Put on Rocket Ride or something. Um, you know, something else uh, instead of. I don't know if uh, Ace had written Rocket Ride yet or not. He might have, might have not. Um, but uh, yeah, put something else on there. That song just is so not Kiss. <laughs> It just doesn't make any sense why they put that on there. Um, the other one too is um, I, I never cared for Hooligan. I really never really cared for Hooligan. Uh, I would have replaced that with a, another Peter Chris song, a different one, one of his other ones uh, that he had out there. And uh, otherwise, uh, yeah, I, I still enjoy the album. It's it's not as good as Rock and Roll Over, in my opinion, but. Uh, it has a lot of classics, you know. I stole your love, you know. Christian sixteen got love for sale, love gun, etc. Uh, Almost humans, a great Gene song. Um, so it's it's pretty close. I mean, it's it still ranks a high, you know. But it's just missing a couple of things that would have made it, you know, even greater. Yep, Mark, have at it. 
Well, one of the things that I think that is sorely missing on this record, and Ken brought it up too, was number one, they didn't record in the same place. Mainly the fact that they didn't record in a large venue, sort of large space, where they could have incorporated everybody together. I think that what's really missing in Love Gun is that at this point, the the identity of each member is starting to come through a little too much. Like Paul went in and he demoed his songs like Love Gun, like by himself at Electric Lady, came back and said, this is what I want. Bam, that's it. There's been a rumor running around all the time saying that as far as Eddie Kramer went producing this, he pretty much produced like Ace's material and Peter's and Gene and Paul kind of said, you know, let us kind of guide the ship and you just engineer kind of thing here for ours. So his involvement as a producer on this record is clearly not as strong as it was on Rock and Roll Over. And I mean, what, the, what he should have did and what would make this record sound a hell of a lot better is grab them, all four of them, by the ear or by the hair, however they had to grab each one of them, toss them into the big room, set up all their gear in a circle so they're all facing each other and play those goddamn songs live in the studio together and track them like that. None of this, you know, yeah, I'm going to just track this with Peter and uh, I'm going to do my own bass for this track. And, you know, th- th- this is where already it's starting to fall apart because Kiss is the four of them, okay? Not, you know, me just doing a song with Peter and I'm going to do everything else and that's it. Like, that's already where it's starting to fall apart in my eyes. And I mean, as soon as you start taking the producer and taking him out of his role in this is where it starts to fall apart. Because like I said, sonically, Rock and Roll Over sounded great. He was in there. They wanted Eddie Kramer back. They were begging him to come back pretty much to do that record. And they were probably saying, yes, sir, thank you, sir, every time he made a suggestion. And it showed the record turn out great. Now they had what they wanted. Now they're, you know, they think they're big superstars and this and that. And Paul's like, here's my song. Here's what I'm going to do. You guys are going to play this. And that's it. Woo. And that's it. So, and then they just, he wants to copy it exactly like that. And there's no input from anybody. And now it's no longer Kiss stylized. I just think they should have just put them in, threw them into the big room, play those songs together, track it together. It would have made it a more band vibe. It would have sounded more like rock and roll over. It would have sounded way more raw. I agree that this is more produced. And Eddie Kramer stuff traditionally doesn't sound overproduced. I mean, everything from Hendrix to Zeppelin and all that stuff, it was never totally polished and shined, you know. He had a bit of raw edge on his stuff all the time, you know. And with that, also comes back to my point where I was talking about earlier about how conformity might have set in. You know, they got too comfortable with Eddie they didn't, you know, like respect him as much. Maybe they should have brought in somebody else to do it. Somebody would have said, you know what, guys, you're going to listen to me. I'm getting paid to do it. Shut up. Do what I tell you. And that's the end of it kind of thing. And you know, who I, you, know, I, no, you know who I think would have been good to do this? Sure. Maybe somebody like Ken Scott or somebody. He just did, you know, David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust. That's such mm. a killer, cool rock album. He would have gave such a cool rock edge to songs that just he would have kept it raw but kept, put a little bit of touch of production into it where it needed it and I think that he would have made Love Gun into a really cool album if he would have came in and did that as far as the song goes in this I agree and Then She Kissed Me is the biggest abomination on a Kiss record I've ever heard it is it, it, it really it, it, 
I think we'll have to do an episode on that topic. Yeah, it, it just makes me want to vomit. I was going to just conclude by saying that, any and I said this once before, any time a song that my parents listened to and thought was cool appears on a record that I'm listening to, you know it's a bad idea to put it on a record. I mean, my parents, parents? my parents have, and then she kissed me the original, and I've always hated it then, and I hated it when Kiss did it. So yank that crap off. Yep, agreed. And here's the big difference between this and Rock and Roll Over is Rock and Roll Over is produced by Eddie Kramer. Love Gun is produced by Kiss and Eddie Kramer. So it's almost that he's almost... back back in his pure engineering role. Yeah. You know, and I, I think it's easy to agree with the location uh point that Mark made. Because when we get to a live two, the studio side and maybe a couple of the songs on the live album you know they're back in a in a theater again playing that stuff and what a difference must it, sound great yeah it makes i mean listen to rocket ride listen to mm-hmm. larger than life yeah. listen to rocket in the usa that stuff sounds you know better yeah again you know i i, I still think kiss is sticking their or and on the other side of the console a bit too much probably by that point and not really just letting eddie do his thing but we could, again, get into the debate about Eddie Kramer as producer versus Eddie Kramer as engineer. And I, I think most people are going to say that he's more of an engineer than a producer. Bob Ezrin is a producer who uses engineers. So, right. you know, that's just the technical side of recording. So, you know, Love Gun is is not a great sounding album. They get back to the right sort of way that Kiss obviously should be recording on a live too and you know let's just finish up there uh, since it's you know the last of really the uh the classic stuff alive too i know it's not on the menu but uh some right, quick too. some quick thoughts on that anything you'd change mark um no i don't know i mean the the, the only the only thing about alive two that kind of struck me compared to Alive 1, is I, I thought that the balance of the audience on Alive 2 was a little too much compared to Alive 1. Right. I just found I found that there's way too much of it. It almost sounds shrilly at times when I listen to that album. Compared to Alive 1, like when I put that on headphones and I listen to it, it sounds like a really cool concert experience. The Alive 2 almost, I don't know if they meant to do this on purpose, but it almost sounds like a Beatles show, like the, the high it's shrilly... Yeah, two high shrilly audience. It sounds like girls screaming like crazy in your ears. It sounds really odd. I mean, it just I think it takes away from the performances of the songs. You know, like what they were trying to get off the the recording of the songs for the live experience. I just don't think it's a as clear a performance. And as far as side four goes, I I love side four. I just I'm not a big fan of any way you want it to be quite honest, but. I mean, I'd rather have that than and then she kissed me. I'll, I'll, I'll stand behind that one hundred and ten percent. I'd rather not have either of them and have an additional kiss song. Yeah, for, of course. You know, for better or worse, you know, even a Peter song. <laughs> Lonnie. Well, I, I, the only thing there's a few things about Alive too. Like I, I would have changed up the track listing a little bit and put "Do You Love Me" on there and "Take Me" on there, as opposed to. Tomorrow and tonight, hmm. and um, yeah. and and maybe and maybe hard luck woman too. You know what I mean? Um, I, I think that those are just 
better kiss better better songs and better kiss songs and better of uh, a time capsule where the band was at the time I, w- I would definitely put those two songs on there instead um and and obviously i would i would take it any way you want it also it, I, yeah. I'm, I'm done i'm done with the live too after after uh larger than life yeah i mean pretty much for me you know the error we'll call it the error some people call it the misprint mm-hmm. version of that album that includes take me hooligan and do you love me you know that those three songs added to the ones already on there would make the album perfect you know if, if it more closely married up with um the material that they were performing during the love gun tour I, I I think I could even do without the studio side and just have the pure live album format akin to what they'd done with the original Alive and save those four songs because I'm not even going to include any way you want it. That's just as bad as Then She Kissed Me. Um, you know, and maybe have released that as an EP, you know, mid, mid-tour or, or, or who knows. But just to go with the pure live album format would have been a little bit better and even if it meant having hooligan on there uh, i think it's a fun part of the of the tour when they're performing that because it's again a peter song so you know tomorrow and tonight i should not be on there on the live too it, it wasn't performed it's not a very good song anyway for me mm-hmm. you know it, it's one of those kiss songs that i'm kind of like blah it's 50 50 some days i like it some days i hate it and very seldom do i play it ken yeah, well, this being my first album I bought, um, I can't say too much bad about it. It was just the images on the front, especially of Gene uh, with the blood, was quite a interesting thing for me to pick up at the drugstore, I remember. Um, and uh, and then opening that gatefold, you know, that's just iconic. I mean, just a great shot that they took there of the band um, with all the fire and everything. So packaging, great. Booklet, great. Sleeves, even, you know, shows the crowd kind of on the sleeves and, and that sort of thing. And um, then the music, um, it's it's all good. But like you said, yeah, that Tomorrow Tonight probably could have been replaced and they could have added maybe a couple more. But I, I'm good with the um, studio side. Yes, the Dave Clark Five song, I could take or leave. It's okay. It's just kind of like, yeah, they're going back to their somewhat British influences that they had back in the day. But uh, the other songs are just great new Kiss songs, um, you know, and they sound good. So I'm all, I'm good with the album. I think it's a, it's a great album, and I can't really pick anything else bad about it. I guess the only other thing is like I agree with Mark about the uh, crowd noise was a little on the higher end and should, probably should have been a little lower that's it alright but, but I, sorry I have to agree though one more thing about what Ken said I think that honestly though this album has by far the best like the booklet all those extras that came in <laughs> with it I think it's just fantastic I think that that's the best record as far as that goes hey I can actually see everyone finally. Yeah, everybody. So, just in time to wrap things up. Any any final thoughts? I, I think there's a few changes that we made. Um, you know, ever again, 
everyone's experience is going to be different on any one of these albums. So, you know, this would be a really cool one to have people chime in on, you know, mm -hmm. whether it's on the YouTube page, the Facebook, or on the FAQ message board page when we post this episode later today. Um, you know, what what would you change on any one of these albums? Or, you know, would you, would you simply leave them as is? And, you know, go into Fantasyland. What do you think could make them better in any way? So we're at the end. We've got our video back. I'm going to end this while we've got video of all of us. So, <laughs> Ken, Mark, Lonnie, thank you for joining me today. And everyone out there, thank you for listening to us. And we will see you next time. Thank you for spending time listening to the Kiss FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the Kiss FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.